0: Good morning everyone. It's good to see you and to be welcomed. I'm sorry we rushed off last week, um, but uh, we'll just pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word and we pray that your mighty Holy Spirit, the true author of Scripture, may be the interpreter of its meaning to each of our hearts and lives and needs this day. For Jesus' sake, amen right I'm going to read from John chapter 1 if you've got a bible with you and care to look up John chapter 1 that's the fourth gospel Matthew Mark Luke John Um, okay in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God he was in the beginning He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory The glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. That's one of the most wonderful passages in the whole of the Bible. Now this week they're celebrating a death. Nelson Mandela has died. The Christian church in this season is celebrating a birth. The birth of the Lord Jesus Christ who came to die for our sins on the cross I I really got a bit upset at the headline in one of the newspapers this week. It was the Daily Mail, actually. <coughs> the The headline was this: "The Giant Who Taught the World the Meaning of Forgiveness." But well, with all due respect, we had somebody that did that long before Nelson Mandela, and that's what the gospels are all about—the good news stories about how the Lord Jesus was born into this world um, <coughs> to bring the idea of God to flesh and blood reality and fulfillment when the word became flesh when you look at uh, Matthew's gospel the the whole theme of it is behold your king because uh, the Lord Jesus Christ um, better get this going Uh, it must be the other way around eh? Behold your king, the king of the beasts is a lion, and the Lord Jesus Christ is the lion of the tribe of Judah, and he's presented in Matthew's gospel around a, a series of proof texts with a, a common introduction that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, by the Lord through the prophet, saying. So the first thing is, um, behold, your king. That's Matthew, and then you look at Mark. Behold the man. In Mark, the Lord Jesus Christ is presented as the Son of Man. And a lot of good sayings in Mark about the Son of Man. The Son of Man, Mark ten forty-five. He didn't come to serve, uh, to be served up, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Behold the man. Now you look at Luke's Gospel. Behold my servant. The Lord Jesus Christ fulfills the servant motif of the Old Testament. Um, prophesied by people like Isaiah and the two creatures of service here are the ox and the lamb and he fulfills both of these but by the time you get to John John's gospel is behold your God behold your king behold the man behold my servant behold your God and uh, in art and sculpture down the centuries each uh, one of the gospel writers has been uh, pictured in this way uh, the lion is um, linked with Matthew and the man is linked with Mark and uh, <coughs> the, the ox or the, uh, the, <coughs> the lamb is linked with Luke and the eagle is the one that's linked with John because the eagle can soar above and give a panoramic, have a panoramic vision of everything that happens. And John's that kind of gospel. Matthew, Mark and Luke, they belong together. They're called the synoptic gospels. You ever heard that word? It means the seen together gospels. It seems as if they form their pattern around a template or framework of events. But John stands out differently from that. John lived till he was an old, old man. Um, provided you accept the fact that the John who wrote this gospel and the John who wrote the letters and the John who wrote Revelation was the one and only John, <laughs> and not a whole series of brilliant individuals called John, then um, you can accept that this, this rugged fisherman under the wonderful honing of the Holy Spirit was able to write such a wonderful gospel as this and uh, John um, is taking us to understand that this is your God and by the time of John the gospel writers had moved on a bit and John was was answering a question that was quite often asked I'm sure Did Jesus exist before his birth? How did he exist before his birth? Where did he exist before his birth? And the the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ is presented in here um, in this wonderful passage that we read together earlier it's cemented in the minds of the believers the fact that the Lord Jesus did have an existence before he came to be born in Bethlehem. Behold your God different ways of looking at John's Gospel. You can look at John's Gospel along the line of the I Am's. We're always looking for pegs to hang things on, aren't we? Well, these are are pegs in John's Gospel. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. I am the door. I am the resurrection and the life. You could hang your understanding of the Gospel on these pegs on the I Am's. That's one way of approaching John or else you could go through John and look at the miracle stories and see how the miracle stories are carefully and strategically placed throughout the gospel starting with the, the, the turning of the water into wine in chapter 2 at the wedding feast in Cana and in the New Testament basically there are three words for miracles the first one, the Greek, they're all Greek words um, as you know the New Testament is written in Greek the first one, terata, means acts of wonder amazing acts, acts that are awe-inspiring remember once I was marking papers as an examiner for GCSE in the north of England and I got papers from a place called Bootle near Liverpool and the question it was a, the paper was on religious studies Mark's Gospel and the question was what did the disciples say when they saw Jesus stilling the storm and this people wrote wow <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to give him the mark for that. <laughs> because the wow factor in miracles is very true to the word terata, Acts of wonder. Um, and then there's acts of power. Dynamite is the second word. Um, like we get our word dynamo and dynamite from. Um, the, the, the miracles of Jesus are acts of Power. And then the third word that's basically used for miracle in the New Testament um, are <coughs> Semaya Signs, Acts of Significance you got that three words uh, Acts of wonder Acts of power and Acts of Significance that point to the reality of the divine nature of the Son of God the Lord Jesus Christ who could do these miracles Another way of looking at John's Gospel when you come to think about a passage like this is along the line of music. You know when a, a composer um, makes up a piece of music, when he's completed the piece quite often they'll go back to the beginning and they'll have an overture. And before you, you you hear the body of the music that is composed you hear the overture, and the overture picks up all the themes that are going to happen further on. Well, John's Gospel's a bit like that. This passage is a bit like that. It's like the overture that picks up themes of light, darkness, truth, falsehood, and so on. Marvellous. And then it's a wonderful gospel, John's Gospel. Now you can think of it also along the lines of drama, because it's like a dramatic introduction to the life of the Lord Jesus and his teaching and his great acts of salvation on the cross like drama, well even Shakespeare, William Shakespeare when he wrote these plays eh, he features in them what are called soliloquies, I'm not even sure I've spelled it right you can look it up when you get home (laughs) In the course of the plays, what happens is sometimes when there's a big audience there watching the play, one person will come on the stage and make a speech called a soliloquy. And the soliloquy is quite often a summary of what's going to happen so that the audience are in on the act in advance. Get the idea? You know, like, uh, if I can go back in my mind to 1954, when I was preparing for higher English uh, in the Scottish hires, we read uh, Henry IV, Part One, and the young Prince Hal there is, is being a bad boy, he's keeping bad company, and he's, he's telling him how eventually he's going to be a good boy, and. Uh, When he becomes a good boy, you'll be amazed, he says. Um, He says, um, I know you all and will a while uphold the unyoked humour of your idleness, yet herein will I imitate the sun which doth permit the base contagious clouds to smother up his glory from the world. He says, My reformation glittering o'er my fault, like some bright jewel on a sullen ground, is that which has no foil to set it off, you know. And uh, uh, what he does is he, he anticipates. What's happening in advance? Are you with me so far? Right, okay, we we'll move on. <laughs> There's an Old Testament parallel um, to the book of John, the Gospel of John. It's the book of Job. You know, if you've read the book of Job, it's an amazing book in the Old Testament. It seems a timeless book. And the, first, the opening chapters, it tells you about how all the sons of God had to appear before him. Um, they were on parade and in my cartoon type mind, please excuse me if it's irrelevant, I think uh, uh, irreverent, um, I think God digs Satan in the ribs and says, have you considered my servant Job? Oh, he's a good guy Um, he loves me and he hates evil and Satan says, "Ah, no wonder look at all the stuff you've given him you take away all his gear and he'll curse you to your face God says, right on you go and then the devil comes down and Job loses all, his, all the trappings of his rich life. He's the richest man in the Middle East. And then there's another parade. They're on parade again. And God says, ah, he didn't curse me to my face. Have you considered my servant Job and, and the says, I'll look at him he's as healthy as anything you touch him with some sort of disease and he'll curse you to your face so God says, okay, I'll give you permission, on you go so what happens is here's the richest man in the Middle East and he finishes up sitting on top of a pile of ashes scraping the boils off his body with a piece of broken pottery and he still doesn't curse God and then To add insult to injury, three pals come and try and prove to him that he's done something evil for this to happen to him. And it's a whole investigation of suffering, isn't it, the book of Job? And then a fourth one, who's even worse than the first three, is after Job as well. And what has happened, in effect, is we have been let in on the act at the beginning. And then as the action unfolds, we are all free with what is happening here. And that's what John's Gospel is all about. And that's what this passage is all about. Um, The wonderful way in which the beginning of the Word, where he was with God and he was God, um, unfolds when he becomes a human being. And the readers are told, in effect, this travelling rabbi... The Lord Jesus Christ is God made flesh, and when you see all the things He does, and how He meets people and deals with them, and how He reacts to situations and deals with them, this is God made flesh. And we know about that because John has told us in the passage we read together at the beginning of this underst- this talk, right? Um, and very briefly. I don't have a lot of time <laughs> and neither do you think of the distances he span. he came from heaven to earth John tells us in the beginning was the word the word was with God the word was God he was with God in the beginning he was very active and imminent in creation through him all things were made Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In other words, he's right at the heart of creation. He's the, he's the Lord of the cosmos, this Jesus, the Rabbi of Galilee. Um, and the whole story of the good news of the gospel, is a, a story downward, isn't it? It's a downward story. In fact, we've got it in a hymn, haven't we? Down from his glory, ever-living story. Um, the Son of God, he came, salvation, to proclaim. He came from heaven to earth. And so you've got the contrast, well, it, I'll, I'll point out two of the contrasts. He was with God, he was God, he was with God in the beginning. And he who was became, look then at 14, the word became flesh. Um, he started an earthly existence. This wonderful divine God-man came to earth he who was became what a distance to cover from heaven to earth and then the distances he spanned he came from light to darkness from the blazing glory of the Father's presence with the Holy Spirit he came from light to darkness and from the glory of God to the, the sin-cursed earth of ours, blasted and bleak through sin, to the darkness, he shone as the light. Well, John tells us about that. In, he's talking about John the Baptist. He said, he came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe he himself was not the light he came only as a witness to the light the true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world and of course the whole concept of the glory of God in scripture is frequently associated with light phenomena, lightning, the blazing sun um, the flashing glory of God seen by old and New Testament people and remember when the Lord Jesus goes up to the Mount of Transfiguration and he's transfigured before them and his garments are shining like no laundry a launderer on earth could make them from light down to darkness occasionally shining through and shining through and join with that wonderful statement I am the light of the world he who follows me shall not walk in darkness but shall have the light of life. Is that how, are you walking in the light of God today? Um, So he came from heaven to earth, and he came from light to darkness. And the distances he span, the word of God, and you think of what a word is. A word is the expression of a thought, isn't it? You know, an expression of a thought. Well, the expression of the idea of God is the Lord Jesus Christ. He was with his disciples one day, and Philip said to him, Show us the Father, and that's enough for us. And Jesus said, Have you been so long with me? It was probably about three years they spent with him at very close quarters. Have you been so long with me, Philip, and yet you haven't known me? He who has seen me has seen. The Father. So he came, if we say it reverently, to give God a human face. He came from being the eternal word of God to becoming flesh and blood. Verse 14. The word became flesh. Isn't that wonderful? That's the one we're talking about this Christmas. This is the baby of Bethlehem who became the man of Calvary. The denials he suffered. Well, they're there in verses 10 and 11. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. There's the ignorance element there. The ignorance element. Sorry, excuse me. Um, I keep putting the specs in there. There's a wee beastie in my pocket in there. Um, he came into this world. And although the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. And that's true today, isn't it? By and large, they don't recognize Jesus. A lot of folk think of him as a swear word. I was playing golf with a guy one day. I drew this guy for a golf tournament in a, you know, just in the club. And this man was known as the professor. I said, why do you call him a professor? He's a big, coarse man. He was a a porter in the hospital. Why do you call him a professor? Oh, he's a professor of English language, they said. (laughs) And the, the other name he got was John F., whatever his surname was, because every third or fourth word was the F word. And he cursed and swore and sort of blustered his way through the round of golf. And at the end of it, he said to me, I suppose my language upsets you. I said, well, John, I said, you opened up this subject so you'll have to listen to me now. <laughs> I said, first of all, I would put it down basically to lack of vocabulary. <laughs> I said, but I'm going to say this to you, and I hope I don't offend you too much. I said, if you knew Jesus the way I know Jesus, you wouldn't talk about him like that. Oh, he went sky blue, pink. You know, you should have seen his face, and he said, oh, "I'm terribly sorry, Josh You know, and it was a—he he had a, a strong church connection, uh, but it was his tongue was really in a bad way. And folk today don't know who Jesus is. A lot of kids still think he's a swear word. You know, there's the ignorance element, and there's the, the rejection element. Verse eleven. He came to his his own things, his own the the Jewish milia and ethos and upbringing, but his own people, his own people, did not receive him, and that's true today, isn't it? By and large, we're no longer a Christian country. For as a Christian country, well. if you're born in a garage that doesn't make you a car and if you're born in a stable doesn't make you a horse some folk even if it were a Christian country it still wouldn't be true but it's far from being a Christian country just now and they've rejected and uh, the acts of parliament that are coming out from time to time are rejecting Christian truth and Jesus came and was rejected and we shouldn't be surprised if we are rejected You know, there's a cartoon I don't know if you ever read the Schultz cartoons about Charlie Brown you know there's a cartoon places you feel out of place you know Um, some folk feel out of place in libraries and some folk feel out of place in concert halls and some folk feel out of place in football grounds and they ask Charlie Brown where do you feel out of place he says the universe (laughs) (laughs) you ever feel like that out of place well part of it surely must be the rejection of Christ and of Christ living in his people we will not have this man to reign over us they said in Jesus time and that's today's society as well the denials he suffered there's a wee word up at the top, the differences he sustained the differences he sustained, verses 13 and 14 first of all note the brevity of his life Um, he was the eternal son of God but he contracted himself to a human life and they worked out how old he was roughly when he gave himself on the cross Luke tells us he was about 30 when he began his public ministry and they've dated the festivals mentioned in the gospels and they've come to the conclusion the public ministry of the Lord Jesus lasted about three years so he was about 33 when he died the brevity of his life the word became flesh and camped among us that's what the word can be translated in fact the part of the verb is for the tabernacle in the Old Testament and the Greek Old Testament the brevity of his life he camped, he was like a camper, You ever gone camping? I used to lead boys camps for the scripture union which was wonderful, 75 boys under canvas for 10 days. You know, one of the great things about camping, you know you're going home at the end of it. (laughs) Back to home comforts. We had dry lavatories. The farmer wouldn't let us put up toilets. And guess who the toilet attendant was for 95 people (laughs) every day. (laughs) And it, it was great. He's like, I'll soon be home. <laughs> I'll soon be home. I won't. I would not i will not any longer have what I call the Els and blues. You know, carry that disinfectant stuff. Jesus camped among us. It's just a temporary life eh, among us. There's the brevity of his life, and there's the beauty of his life. John says he made his dwelling among us, he camped among us we have seen his glory and the word for seen means gazed at contemplated like the theatre goer contemplates the play we gazed at his glory <laughs> the glory is of the only begotten of the father the one and only full of grace and truth, what a combination grace and truth are <laughs> The beauty of his life and the benefits of his life. You look back in verse 12, it says, To all who deceived him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that's a wonderful word, right. It means legitimate authority from the highest possible source given by God. That God could accept people as Christians, yin's that belong to Christ, people who've believed into him, who've believed upon him, who've moved towards him, in all our needs, and we get two things, a new name, that's wonderful, Christ's ones, Christians, because we belong to Christ, and a new nature, Paul says in 2 Corinthians if any man be in Christ Christ to one of the great phrases in the New Testament <laughs> if anyone be in Christ he's a new creation the old is gone the new has come and in Moody's Burn you can live the life of the age to come in this world in this life a new name, a new nature in the church of new beginnings nearly finished, it's five past twelve application, well first of all bend before the saviour, that's number one, that's what we all have to do and that is not easy because by nature, practice and disposition we're all proud people we suffer from eye disease, I want to do what I want to do what I want to do it, eye disease is prevalent among us we want our own way. Who's going to bend to God? You know, Augustine, the great early church father, he said, here is a great mystery, a proud man. Here is a great mercy, a humble God. Here is a great mystery, a proud man. Here is a great mercy, a humble God. Bend before the Saviour. Recognise your great need of him. Repent. Repent turn to Christ, turn from yourself and where you're going to go his way. Bend before the Saviour, believe in the Saviour. And when the, the word believe in the New Testament is quite often compounded with a preposition of motion. Movement towards God, movement out of myself towards God, trust in Christ who died on the cross as if you were the only sinner in the world He still would have come and died for you to go back to camp we used to take the boys abseiling, have you ever been abseiling? Okay, oh, it's easy, the abseiling easy it was an 80 foot cliff we took them to and here were we boys of you know, 10, 11 and up to 16 and they See, so this is simple, boys. All you do is get on your stuff, put on your helmet, and trust the safety man. The safety man will look after you and go down like a human fly, as vertical as the right, at right angles to the cliff face. It's simple. What they didn't know, I was terrified to do that, but I, I conned a whole stack of wee boys, and they're going down the cliff. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and then after I think about seven years I plugged up courage but as soon as they'd done it once oh they all wanted abseiling and you say I've got a, a space and the timetable this afternoon would anyone like some extra abseiling all the hands would go got all the ones that had tried it you see <laughs> and, and leaning well of course we've got a hymn about that as well leaning on Jesus huh? what have I to dread what have I to fear Leaning on the everlasting arms. Trust the safety man. Trust the saviour. And lean back on him. Leaning on the everlasting arms. Let's pray together. Lord we thank you for our wonderful saviour. We thank you that he came down to earth at the first Christmas. Um, not just to show us what God is like. But to act as God among us. And we thank you for the, the beauty of his life and for the benefits of his life, death, and resurrection, which can be applied to each one of us by his Holy Spirit. And we ask you, Lord, to help us to to trust him, to bend before him, and to experience his blessing every day of our lives. For Jesus' sake. Amen.